You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Safe uh, Senior Hour. Uh, remember, Safe stands for seniors abused and financially ex- exploited. That's the topics we we like to talk about. And uh, and today, um, I just want to thank our guest is uh, Jason Marbot, the Assistant District Attorney from Cobb County. That's a suburb here in Atlanta. And he is probably one of the preeminent uh, elder abuse prosecutors, certainly in the state, if not in the southeast. As we like to say in the the law enforcement business, he's our go-to guy. And um, Jason will, I appreciate him coming in today. Just to let you all know, it's a beautiful day in Atlanta. We got through the Super Bowl okay, which was was amazing. Uh, I know some people probably have People, especially in New England, love it and, and around the country, but some other people probably thought it wasn't that great of a game. But anyway, game's over. Atlanta, hopefully we'll get back to normal, and we'll be getting back to our uh, uh, to our, our regular ways here in Atlanta, but the weather is good. We've got rid of that cold spot uh, spell. Uh, remember, we start off that uh, elder abuse does not report itself. This is what this, this uh, show is about. We're trying to show you things that happen, and you need to report it to your professionals, law enforcement, adult protective, whatever it is in your your state or in your country. Uh, if you have questions for us, you always can send to the website at safe, S-A-F-E, at americaswebradio.com, and uh, it will get to us or get to our guests. Uh uh, with that, remember, uh, we are not, we do have a lawyer here today, but we aren't lawyers. I'm not a lawyer. So if you have any questions about legal issues, talk to your own lawyer or talk to uh, legal aid or talk to the appropriate people. But the important thing is report it, question, and move on. So with that, I'm going to uh, has Jason, um, who, uh, as I just touted his experience, but he's also a friend of mine, he's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible prosecutor. We've done seminars together, and he is uh, uh, very knowledgeable. Um, just his background, uh, you went to the University of Pennsylvania? That's right, I did. And law school? Law school, I went to Emory Law School. I was a, uh, you, you may not even know this, I was a teacher for a little bit in between, so I, I went to, actually grew up here in the metro area and traveled for a little bit. Went, did my undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, was a teacher for just a, a short bit. I uh, in Hawaii. I taught for a year in Hawaii at a, a private school, the Punahou School. Um, it was a great year. Um, the the first year after I graduated as an undergrad, um, was not intending to be a teacher for twenty or thirty years. Just kind of uh, feeling my oats, being young, doing something, could travel to Hawaii and and take that job. It was great. Um, and then I did a program called Teach for America for a couple of years. Uh, I taught uh, middle school math and science if you believe it, wow. um, in Newark, New Jersey. That was quite an experience. Uh, having been to Newark uh, during my uh, law enforcement yes, career, um, my hat's off to you. But that's what we need. We need to go and, and try to help uh, people everywhere. And uh, I've, I've worked extensively in Hawaii, and I know you and I had conversations about it. And uh, so uh, it's, it's a pleasure. And, uh, again, ha- ha- what's your interest? How did you get this interest on elder abuse matters? 
I think if you if you were to talk about how I got my interest, yeah. I, I am the sort of person who I see a problem and I move towards it. And th- this is a rising problem. Um, I, I also um, was tapped to do this job. Um, my boss, uh, at least for the time being, Vic Reynolds, mm-hmm. um, elected DA here for our judicial circuit, the Cobb Judicial Circuit. When he came into office in, uh, I want to say it was 2012, whatever my math is on, on, on those years. That It's funny how the, the years fly by. Right. Um, but he came in and said, hey um, – I, I've been involved with um, this uh, elder abuse task force doing some things, and I, I need a prosecutor that I can have um, as our go-to guy in the office. And he tapped me and said, Jason, you're it. We're, we're going to um, get you some additional training. But um, for the most part, uh, what happens now is every case that comes into our office where the victim is age 65 or older, starts on my desk. I don't keep all of them and follow them. Uh, I, I don't keep them and, and prosecute them personally all the way to uh, finish. Uh, there are approximately 40 to 45 uh, prosecutors in our office. Uh, I, I um, take the complex ones, and I will keep them myself and prosecute them. The ones that, um, and I say uh, simpler, not, they're, they're all awful, um, right. but the ones that um, might uh, have a little bit uh, less uh, complex facts. We'll, I'll let that go to the normal courtroom. Somebody else will take that, and then I'll track them, and I act as a resource for them, uh, give them advice, talk to them about things uh, about the case, and help move it through. Right. I, just to let our, our, our listeners uh, um, understand, Cobb County is a suburb uh, northwest of Atlanta, and we have about 750,000 people in the county. Uh, as they like to say, it's bigger than some states. It is. And um, we have a very, very well-respected uh, uh, and, and highly regarded uh, nationwide our district attorney's office. Uh, Vic Reynolds was one of the, uh, the uh, people who jumped on, the district attorney, who uh, helped start the, uh, at that time it was the Cobb Elder Abuse Task Force, now we moved it to the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force. Cobb still exists. And the new chairman is Jason. Jason started, I think it was 2013, I think, is what the I, – I, something like that. I, when when, when you got designated. That's one of those things as well. Time flies, um, and, and, and I do wear a lot of hats, um, but that was something that uh, – my boss, we call him Vic, but Mr. Reynolds uh, originally was the chairman. And um, as um, I, I began to do more and more of these cases, I know we talked with the folks, all of you guys who have been involved, and ultimately I became the chairman of the task force to try and continue to um, carry that torch and banner forward. And, and we've done, I feel like, and you too, Joe, we've done a lot of work here to try and coordinate law enforcement to. Um, as we began to recognize that this was a problem that we, frankly, in law enforcement and the prosecutorial community had not been addressing the way that we needed to. Um, it's the sort of thing, cases come in the door when you're a prosecutor, you take what law enforcement brings you. Right. And if they don't bring you a case, then you don't. we don't go out and beat the bushes and say, hey, let's find charges and let's find cases to prosecute. We've got plenty coming in the door. But what we began to realize is we started to look at the numbers and we started to look at the statistics um, on our aging population is that there was a real need for us to have a focus on educating law enforcement even to say, hey, have you thought about these charges? There are the, these victims, they're special. We need to take a little bit of a different stance. And I think where we are with elder abuse is where 
we were as a prosecutorial community back in the early 80s with child abuse. Um, Nowadays, it would be unheard of for a prosecutor's office to not have a specialized special victims unit. Um, you know, if you watch television, Law and Order, SVU, that's what go, that's, right. those are the crimes. And then right. it's women and children and, and uh, those sorts of uh, units. Um, they didn't always exist, believe it or not. Uh, it, well, it took a recognition of law enforcement and prosecutors that uh, there needed to be some specialized training and specialized treatment. That's where we are with elder abuse, uh, that we recognize that we need to have some specialized way of dealing with those crimes. And and, and I'm saying one of the, the great aspects of, of Jason is that not only do, do we have um, we have monthly meetings here in Cobb and in other areas throughout Georgia of law enforcement from getting together from a lot of jurisdictions, cities, other counties, uh, regulatory people and we have a, we have a, a monthly lunch where we sit, we bring everybody up to date and educate them on the new laws, new techniques, uh, and then we have an exchange of information from from the from the community. Because as as we know, criminals and and uh, they don't stop at the county line, city line. That's right, right? Or the uh, uh, and and so we all have to coordinate, work together. But the other aspect, which I like, as Jason, that he's he's goes out. Uh, um, and speaks to uh, civilians. I do. I, I do. I try and do education with both the community right. and law enforcement. Um, you know, I, talking about things that I do and and, and talking about spreading out. Uh, it more and more of my job seems to be fielding phone calls and resources. People call into the office all the time and say, "I've got this issue. What do I do?" And it 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 is something that I think people need additional education on. They just don't. Would something happen to my mom? I'm not saying something happened to my mom. I'm, I'm yeah, the hypothetical, right? right? right this right. is the phone call. Something happened to my mom, Mr. Marvin. What do, what, what do I do? And I'm trying to direct people. We have so many different agencies and acronyms. You know, the government, you worked in government for a number of years. Everybody loves the acronyms right. for things, and there are so many different agencies. Um, the, 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 the One of the biggest issues, but also I think one of the things that we are making the most progress on in the past few years or that we've made the most progress on is – having these different agencies come together so that we begin to learn and network with each other. So I know whenever somebody calls and I say, well, what county are you in? I, I know somebody in that county. I said, well, give this guy a call. I'm in Gwinnett. Well, I, I, I don't deal with Gwinnett. That's a neighboring county. But call this detective, Detective Von Barron. He does this. They're working right. on similar things. Um, I, well, I'm up in North Georgia. We try and build uh, with the North Georgia Elder Task Force this network of individuals so that as people – have these issues and are coming up, they know where to go. Right. And I think the, the other part that, that Jason has been called upon uh, uh, as a resource person to help develop new statutes uh, to help fight elder abuse in Georgia. Georgia has some great statutes, and uh, uh, one of them, um, which we'll talk about in the next segment, is is uh, the ability to use the RICO statute, that, which was a which is a very strong statute, and I'll let him explain it to you. But one of the main points, and, and the next segment will cover that, but I do like to say the state and has passed a, a statute uh, giving guidance to the district attorneys. There are, what, 49 judicial districts, I think, in, or 59, I don't in the state of Georgia? Something like that. Something like that. There's, there, there, right. are, there are a bunch. We have a – just to let you know, we have 159 counties in Georgia, so uh, – 
so they kind of combined some of the judicial districts. But um, if you go over the legislation that came through that, that kind of uh, gave some guidance to have uh, problems in each judicial district, not going out to the intelligence point of view. I think that this is something that's actually um, a – it's catching on nationwide. Okay. There are uh, many states who have begun to look at the idea of what we call MDTs, multidisciplinary teams. Uh, we had a statute last year which, which I was a part of helping to draft uh, and um, shepherd through the legislature, which has, has encouraged the formation of an MDT, a multi- multidisciplinary team, in every judicial uh, jurisdiction, in, in every judicial circuit. The idea of a multidisciplinary team is that we will actually um, staff cases of elder abuse. So it's an elder abuse MDT, and we will have stakeholders, agencies in the local jurisdiction. So our MDT that we have formed in Cobb is called JEDI MDT, um, Justice for Elderly and Disabled Individuals. And I mentioned disabled because all of the statutes that apply to the elderly also apply to the disabled in Georgia. Over um, 18. Over, uh, well, 18 um, or over, over 18, unless you are a resident of a facility. The Holy Trinity of protected persons under the uh, Title 16 um, hmm. crimes against um, uh, the, the, the vulnerable adults populations are, there are three uh, categories. Elder persons, which is age 65 or older. Uh, disabled persons, and we have the definition for that. Uh, is uh, mentally or physically incapacitated, suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia, um, or uh, residents of long-term care facilities. Right, right. Well, I, I think this it, the 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 people you bring together are not just law enforcement, correct? That's right. We That's want we want disciplinary means. service agencies, nonprofits, anybody who might care for um, and 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 deal with that population who is uh, suffering or having abuse. We want to put them in early, and we talk together. Uh, and decide where can we provide resources. Well, I, I want to take tip my hat because we first saw this. The state of Tennessee put something similar into this, and and we copied it. Um, well, that's uh, we're going to about to take our break and go to uh, then we'll go to our second session, and we'll have Jason talk more about some of the the, the in general cases that that he's seen and situations. And so we'll be back in uh, after our break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. And want to take this opportunity to remind everybody to go to their computers and uh, check out Tornado Body Dryer. Uh, it is a unique dryer that stays in your shower, and uh, mine's being installed uh, hopefully next week. It's um, right now it's installed in a box in the foyer, but uh, 
should be installed in my uh, shower within the uh, next week or two. And it's it's uh, incredible. It will dry you from head to toe in approximately three minutes. You do away with towels. Uh, it also, uh, as it's drying you, it's drying your shower and doing away with the mildew and uh, mold and so forth. So if uh, you're in a situation where bending over or uh, just a towel is not what you're wanting, go online to Tornado Body Dryer. They've been in business for oh, 20-some-odd years. It's actually a product out of England, and so it's been tested and used for years and years. But it is very unique, and uh, a lot of folks didn't even know something like that was available. But uh, we found it and invite you to go to it and uh, just tell them that David sent you if you give them a call. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move, Timothy Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the uh, Safe Senior Hour. Uh, this is Joe Gavallis um, back with you. And we have our guest today, Assistant District Attorney Jason Marbit. Um, who is one of the uh, preeminent attorneys, prosecutors, certainly in the state, in the southeast, dealing with uh, uh, elder abuse issues. And we're in the last segment, we were finishing about uh, groups that were set up here called mul- multiple disciplinary teams, and you were just addressing um, the components that meet. And uh, if you could just go into that, this why that's important. I think... To, to describe why it's important, sometimes I, let me back up and say sort of the normal life cycle of a case. Um, so something happens to someone, whether it be in a facility or in their home, um, when their first call is going to be usually to either adult protective services or to law enforcement. Law enforcement will do those investigations. And, and here's the rub. To do an investigation, and you know this from your law enforcement background, and to do it right takes time. And um, I, I am a believer in we can do things better and we can do things that would be more efficient. We have room for improvement in that area. But at the end of the day, it, it takes time to investigate a case. It's not going to come to the prosecutor's office until an arrest warrant or uh, a decision has been made by law enforcement and their boots on the ground. So what happens to the victim during that time period? Um, and, and that can be incredibly frustrating for particularly when we talk about these vulnerable population groups where very often they need someone to help them. They need resources. Um, they're, they're, uh, whether it be financial because the, the money has been stolen mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out how to live and eat, um, or it could be the physical of their life-threatening um, injuries, whether if we're talking about neglect or abuse. Um, those issues need to be addressed, which is part of the reason that you have so many different service agencies because there are so many different 
things that need to happen there, and there um, are so many groups that have formed to help people based upon their needs. What we recognize, though, is that it, it's the problem of silos. As that process is moving through, as the case is beginning to work its way through the system, there may not be somebody who's ultimately uh, identified that can be arrested. A lot of times there there is, but what happens to uh, someone if uh, law enforcement is investigating and they're investigating is stalling out because they can't get the information to feel like they have the evidence for an arrest or for a charge? We don't want to leave those people out in the cold. And so what we try and do is on the beginning end, the front end of the case, as it comes in, uh, we staff the case, we talk about it, we bring all the stakeholders to the table, and we'll have a conversation, and I will talk about cases uh, with um, APS, with healthcare facility regulation, with the law enforcement agency who's doing an investigation. In addition to, um, for our, for us, we've got Live Safe, which is a, a local nonprofit that does some work. They help us coordinate this. Uh, we'll have the local area co- council on aging. Um, anybody who might be a stakeholder, we come to the table. We'll say, this is the report that came in. This is what we're looking at. And then we'll, what should we be doing? And, and we'll start tapping people. All right, well, law enforcement's got this. This is what you're doing. Well, um, because of the theft, she lost, you know, this victim lost their car. Well, who, who has transportation? We need to get them to their doctor's appointments. That's the goal of an MDT is to recognize that um, while it's important for law enforcement and prosecutors to be involved, um, that there are a lot of other needs in place. The, the answer is not always lock them up and put them in prison, um, particularly because that answer very often comes months, if not years, down the line. And we've got some other issues that we want to deal with before and, we get to that. And we want that. to take care of the victims. That's and again, right. again, we've got to remind everybody, when we talk about elder abuse, uh, generally, certainly, our task force is – is we talk about three things, uh, physical, financial, and institutional. And you can break those down even into more groups, but that's a pretty e- you know, easy three things to remember. But again, in your state, in your country, um, in your county, in your city, you know, there are always professionals that you can call uh, that, that if, it, if you see something, say something. And, and some of these abuses, I, 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 we're going to talk about in, in generalities and some cases that I know Jason and I have, have uh, looked at or Jason's looked at independently. So one of the first ones we talk about the most prevalent when we talk about uh, uh, elder abuse is financial abuse. And financial abuse is about 70% of all abuse cases. Uh, the, it, it's in the billions of dollars which seniors are being taken. But the unfortunate um, statistic is that the vast majority are done by relatives, loved ones, or caregivers. And so, Jason, is there a couple cases that, that you can just generically you can talk about that uh, about financial uh, exploitation uh, that, that you've run across or been uh, absolutely counsel on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're right. The statistics and the numbers show that, unfortunately, while we are familiar with what we call stranger crimes, these are the scams. Uh, you know, you get some email from a Saudi Arabian prince, and it says, uh, you know, wire your money to me now. Um, the vast majority of actual financial exploitation cases are from people who are in positions of trust. Um, and so uh, I, I will give you an example of a case uh, that we prosecuted here a, a couple of years ago, and it actually touched um, nationally. Um, we um, – this is a uh, – was – um, 
a, a case which I prosecuted as a racketeering case, um, but it had elements of both the people in positions of trust and the stranger scams. And what we had was uh, a bank account in here locally, which was the repository for uh, a large number of victims. Uh, we had one victim who um, was uh, – there was a romance scam. She met um, a uh, gentleman on Match.com. She herself was in her 70s, was lonely, and began a uh, correspondence with him, uh, became very um, – shared a lot of personal details, and she actually ended up having a, 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 a nest egg that her late husband had left her uh, about 10 years prior that she'd been living on, but um, was convinced to wire that money um, on a, through a series of transactions to a, a bank account to help this uh, young man out. Um, that she had met online, um, and uh, turns out, it, obviously, it was not that person. It was uh, she was being what we what we youngsters call catfishing. There's a whole show on MTV about it, um, but it was not who she thought it was. Um, but the money was gone, and but that led to um, looking in the bank account and realizing, hey, there are lots of other transactions. So we had another gentleman in Virginia who was a victim of a grandfather scam. Uh, this is the scam where. Um, he gets a phone call. Um, it, it's somebody who's uh, – they were kind of disguising their voice, and every, he was embarrassed after the fact, but he thought it was his grandson. They identified himself, knew some um, private details, um, I think coughed a little and said he had a cold, um, but but said, hey, I, granddad, I just got arrested, um, and uh, I, I need – I don't want to call mom and dad yet because I'm embarrassed, but if you'll wire me the money and bond it out, get me bonded out – uh, we'll deal with it later. So what did granddad do? He's a loving uh, grandfather. He wired that money, and then after he cl- hit clicked that button to say yes, thought better of it. But by then, it was too late. The money was, was out of that. It went into the account here locally, um, and what was going on is we had a local person who would come into the bank in Georgia. She would withdraw it. So as soon as the money was wired in, she would withdraw it. She'd go drive across town. 15 minutes away to another bank, deposited it, and then there was a guy in Jacksonville, Florida. He would take it out. They'd do the same thing. So they were washing the money to try and move the trail. They Just a couple points here. You know, we, we've discussed people who've listened before about romance scams. I just uh, saw a headline here. Canada has over 1,000 romance fraud complaints in 2018, which losses of $22.5 million on romance scams. Uh, if you remember, we did a, uh, a segment we talked about um, romance scams in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong had, had it was in the millions. So that that's nothing unusual about it's worldwide, and it can affect everybody. But it's something everybody should look at. And again, people, in my experience, talking, they're kind of embarrassed to talk about it. They, they are embarrassed, and. Um, you know, part of the difficulty that we had with that case that I just described is those stories that I that I was telling you about. Those those are two individual victims. That that case, um, there were approximately ten in, victims ultimately listed in the case. But um, each victim, they're embarrassed. The money is gone, so our prosecution is not likely to recover the money for them because the money ultimately was shipped overseas to Malaysia or some other country where we don't have great diplomatic relations. We're not going to get that money back. So what we had was to con- – or what we had to do was to convince the victims of the importance of coming forward and telling your story so that we can prosecute and punish these people 
to discourage future prosecution. But there was there's this sense of shame and embarrassment of I was I was took I was um, the, the you know the woman who um, or denial deny well the the woman who um, did the five hundred thousand it was like five hundred thousand dollars that she ultimately wired over several transactions wow. um, you know she didn't want to tell her she's got. Um, uh, children of her own, and she's embarrassed to tell her children. I, I, I just, I piddled away the nest egg that your dad left that was going to be yours. There's that embarrassment, and there's that shame, um, and it's it's hard uh, for people to talk about. And I, I know I, I started to talk about um, positions of trust, and then I went off on a scam case. Um, so there are lots of other situations where, again, right. it's it's all that shame and embarrassment. And and we talked about a lot of times people misuse the power of attorney. That's given power attorney is a great thing, but uh, it'll be it's it's uh, something that we all need to look at and be careful about who who we give it to. I mean, if you give it, you can take it away. With that, that'll end our second segment, and we'll move in and go into some more examples with our guest, Jason Marbet. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back. Uh, Joe Gavallis again with the Safe Senior Hour, and we're with our guest, Jason Marbet, the Assistant District Attorney and one of the uh, true uh, preeminent uh, uh, attorneys here, prosecutors in, uh, in the state of Georgia dealing with elder abuse. And we just addressed in the last segment, we talked about financial abuse and uh, uh we're uh, talking about uh, the professionals, the professional scammers um, that work. And, again, we have talked about that on the show, uh, romance scams, grandfather scams, uh, and various scams that, uh, that uh, grandparent scams with the telephone calls. Um, well, we're going to go into this segment and talk about uh, inst- institutional abuse cases. And, and some things to look for. And again, remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. If it bothers you, please get it to a professional in your city, county, state, or country. And, and you know, let somebody else know because a lot of these things are, 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 are hidden and uh, don't get reported enough. With that, uh, uh, Jason, you got any uh, good examples that you've known of the uh, institutional abuses? 
I think the institutional cases would probably fall into, for Georgia, what we tend to look at are two different categories. We either have um, cases which have happened in licensed facilities, long-term mm-hmm. care facilities, nursing homes, um, and uh, hospitals potentially even, but places where there are there's an actual licensing agency which is aware that this facility is operating. Those cases – um, the licensing agency for Georgia would be healthcare facility regulation. I'm sure that other states are going to have similar agencies, a state agency which will decide you can operate as a long-term care facility. We're going to make sure that, uh, you know, the from the how the air conditioning is supposed to be managed in the facility to what, what the food prep is supposed to be like to the number of people who are supposed to be on staff. Um, those sorts of cases – is a point of contention, I would say, as a prosecutor and in law enforcement, because I, I, I'm not sure that we are fully aware of all of those cases of abuse. They are mandated reporters. They are required to report. Um, but in Georgia, those facilities, by and large, are going to receive Medicaid funding, Medicaid being the federal program. And so this, the oversight agency for Medicaid um, ends up being – um, the For us, the Attorney General's Office, we have a Medicaid fraud control unit. It will probably de- be different from state to state. But the, the federal agency is going to – the feds are going to have a local agency within your state, which will be the oversight agency for any facility which is receiving funding under Medicaid. Um, so that channels the information and the, man, the mandated reporting differently such that me as a state prosecutor – um, if somebody reports abuse and neglect and exploitation up the channel through the federal pipeline, the feds are going to hear about it, but not me. Um, I don't get many of those cases. We do get cases on occasion when the family brings us those cases. I have a murder case that we're prosecuting right now. Um, uh, there, there, so certainly there are cases that will come into uh, the knowledge of local law enforcement because it's not something that can be hidden. So the larger scale cases. Um, but some of the lower and, – and not that it's um, not important, but the – you know, the, just your – you know, there's a bruise. There's some abuse. There might be a little neglect. Those are typically going to go into uh, the federal pipeline. The other types of cases, though, in, in that category of institutional would be unlicensed homes. And we have um, – I believe that this is a problem which is um, rampant. Um, I believe that this is a problem which stretches beyond Georgia. We have right now, and I know you've talked about this on your program, I'm sure, before, um, but, but I will frame the, 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 the debate. I will frame the context. Uh, we have a baby boomer generation which is aging out. Um, the uh, resources for this population cohort and the volume of uh, people who are age 65 plus um, I believe does not – exists in our country. We have more people who need services than there are services available. So uh, with that demand, there are unscrupulous folks who are offering themselves to fill that need, and that's the defense that we often get in these cases, is they will say, well, I'm just helping someone out because there's not a licensed facility. So they will open an unlicensed facility, and they will convince people, hey, I can give this service, and A, it'll be cheaper. Um, but it'll be it'll be a home environment. We'll care for you. We'll love you just like your loved ones. And they will look for people to come into their facility who feel lost and feel like um, they can't find or afford a nice 
licensed care facility. We all know that there are different levels of even within the licensed facilities. Um, if we could all afford the creme de la creme top of the heap, we all would, but we can't. Um, it, it's They're not cheap. Right. Um, and so with that comes facilities who say, well, we will do it on the cheap. Well, so how do they solve their problems of doing it cheaper? Well, they'll take more people. So we have cases. Uh, there's one of the first uh, unlicensed personal care home cases I did. Um, I, I don't know if you're uh, your audience just sees sort of a wall behind us, um, uh, but, but um, this room that I'm in is maybe, you know, what, what would you say, Joe, about uh, 10 feet across by 20 feet, 10 by 20 feet right. roughly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, um, this room, I would say they had, um, they would probably have fit four people in the same room. And when I say fit four people, they would all get a bed, a little cot. Um, they would um, have the, it was a it was a residential home in a neighborhood, and they segmented it off with plywood boards, uh, and uh, you were living like you were in a little um, concentration camp. Um, right. And they took pictures of the wonderful area upstairs, but that's where the homeowners lived. Um, this was in the basement, which wasn't lit. Um, there was a, a concrete slab. Um, and it, it was stubbed out so that you could finish it for a bathroom, but it didn't have lights or fixtures. Um, so they just finished that stub. They put a toilet on the concrete slab. So there was a toilet, but it was in a room that didn't have uh, a door. It didn't have make, that had makeshift walls made of sheets. Um, and so the advertisement to folks was come to our home environment, and they show the beautiful pictures upstairs. But then when the folks get there, and these are ambulatory folks, folks who have difficulty getting up and down stairs, the sorts of folks who are looking for a long-term care facility because they legitimately need someone to assist them in meal prep, to assist them occasionally in getting to the bathroom. Let me add in, and why do they go after these people? Because certainly in the United States that people will be able to have some amount of, what, uh, Social Security, maybe veterans' benefits, Food stamps, uh, EB, I think it was an EBT card. EBT cards. And in, other. In fact, the, what we discovered is the woman that was running this facility, she began her career working at a licensed facility. And she recognized there were folks who came into the licensed facility, some of whom would say make 2500 a month with whatever benefits or pensions or, or public benefits. But there were some other folks who only made the minimum, and I think the minimum at that time was maybe 830 or $840 a month. Fine. The f- licensed facility didn't want the $830 a month folks because they wanted the $2,500 a month folks. They, wanted, they had limited bed space, and by statute or by regulation, they were not allowed to have beyond a certain number of people based upon the size of their facility. So they actually, our belief, we could not ultimately prove that portion um, of, of um, whether or not they were knowledgeable that they were sending people to the unlicensed care facility. What we could prove, though, is that the this woman started her own unlicensed facility, and she would siphon and had a network of other places where you would come to the licensed facility, they would kind of look at you, um, she advertised, advertised herself as licensed, so I think there was a little, um, you know, we don't see this going on here. So the licensed facility would send refers, referrals, and lo and behold, she would get the folks who were making 830 But guess how much it cost to, to stay in her facility, Joe? 830 Guess what? If, if you made uh, $930, how much would it cost to stay in her facility? Probably 930 Yes, sir. Every single penny you made went to her. That was the way it worked. 
Uh, you know, uh, Jason, as we go around in, in the North Georgia area, the scenario he just talked about, I know currently is being looked at, I would say at least five other jurisdictions, the same similar activity. And then when we bring all these people together at our luncheons, they exchange how to do it. Because, you know, everybody is trying to do more with less. And, 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 but we're all looking after the welfare of the victims. If, if you bring it and you think some people, if you go to visit them and say, I, 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 I went into a, a restaurant and paid at a cashier, and the cashier was talking to somebody else, said, I just visited a, 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 a assistant living to put my, uh, my mother in. And if I go, if anybody, when I get to be that age and you go to put me in that, in that facility, shoot me. I wouldn't live in that facility. And uh, so, obviously, I heard what it was, and I gave it to law enforcement and, and the regulatory people, and they're looking at it. But it's you know, when you hear things like that or you see things like that, please tell somebody because there are victims. We're not talking about just, you know, and most law enforcement, you're not talking about piles of drugs or, or uh, you know, uh, illegal guns or, or whatever they are. Um, you're talking about human beings and the condition to see what they're in. And, and um, so please, if you see something, say something. I think that's really significant. I, I mean, absolutely. And um, I've been doing this long enough, Joe, that one of the, the saddest parts of my job is when you, we finally encounter these victims and you talk to them. And um, sometimes what they will say is that they feel like they were trying to report, they were trying to tell people, but sometimes people were dismissing you're just elderly or you're just disabled because a lot of these folks that we were talking about um, have they felt wrung out by the system uh, and so that's part of why we talk about this earlier we talk about these MDTs we talk about these different approaches and trying to educate both law enforcement and the community that this problem is out there it probably has been there longer than right. than we've been looking at and we're trying to do a better job of it well of I, I think that and and again you know we talk about our our, our law enforcement uh uh, of friends and the hard work they do, you know, it's not always that when they arrest people, they go out and and I, many of our meetings are like they they see the same people on the street that walk away from a home or walk away someplace where they're supposed to be. Now they're on the street, and these people certainly need help, and and they're taking a better look at it now than we did before. I think it's a uh, it is a big issue, and it's an issue in every state, I would, I would believe, every county, every city that we look at it. So if you know of anybody or seniors that, that have an issue at a assistant living, personal care home, uh, they're called many things, um, please tell a professional and, and the, the law enforcement or the regulatory agency or whatever it is in your country. Uh, these people are victims, and we certainly want to help them. Uh, I, I do think that the uh, some of the cases that are going on now that we see are uh, on some of the professional staff uh, by far do a wonderful job. It's a hard job and what they do, but some people, for some whatever reason, uh, have taken and I know of like two or three matters where they will take, uh, and this is in several states, will take. Uh, with their phone, you know, your phone's a walking camera now or a walking video, and they will take uh, horrible pictures of a, of, a, of a disabled person or of a senior, 
um, whether it would just be in, in, in an embarrassing situation or a sexual situation, and then they laugh about it and put it on the Internet or put it on their, uh, their, to their friends. Well, law enforcement has, has caught that and heard about it, and those cases will be investigated and will be uh, prosecuted if, if, if the evidence is there. And I know we have a couple of them right now, I think, in Georgia uh, going on. I, I, I think we're, we've been looking at those cases. We've been um, trying to look at them in the terms of what's the best way to prosecute them, and I know that we have uh, discussed um, all, tweaking some of our statutes uh, to recognize uh, that it's sometimes when we talk about that false publication of, of media and pictures and things of that sort, um, we're, we're definitely looking at those issues. Well, I, uh, with that, we're about to uh, um, end our third segment, and uh, we'll be back with the next segment uh, concerning um, physical abuse-type cases. And with that, uh, we'll take our break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, we're finding to our final segment. Again, Joe Gavallis with uh, the Safe Senior Hour and uh, with our guest, uh, Jason Marbus, Assistant District Attorney in Cobb County. And we've been going over some of the, the kind of situations and matters that he has seen in his uh, career. And, um, again, um, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send it to our website, um, our, our email at safe, S-A-F-E, at americaswebradio.com. And we will certainly try to get you some answers and, uh, and, and help you and answer some of the questions. But with that, our, our last uh, uh, segment here, we're going to talk about physical abuse cases and and. I know from going around and talking to seniors, I've spoken to over a thousand seniors uh, with law enforcement and with the regulatory people in the different counties and facilities. We go into not only to senior centers, but we go into faith-based groups and we speak. And and because almost all all many many uh, faith-based groups have a senior department or a senior group, and and uh, and we cover the topics. And and one is. Um, of course, physical abuse, and 
there are some just horrible cases, but a lot of them are, you know, when you were a senior, and I, and which differs from the child abuse, and that's the one to get with uh, with Jason. Seniors have the right for self determination. One hundred percent. Can you just go over that so when people, you know, that we meet a lot of hoarders and we meet a lot of, um, uh, you know, people say, oh, they're a hoarder, they live horribly, but if they're in, you know, a saint, if they're an adult without any problems, right? They can. They they have the right to. Um live the way that they want to live and i will tell you a lot of the cases i I call them cases uh i guess reports that we talk about that law enforcement is looking at where other people are making reports um sometimes it it comes down to um decisions about uh capacity um is obviously uh, we're all going to reach that stage where we're going to start to slip a little um alzheimer's and dementia are facts of life as you age, um, unfortunately. Um, when that situation arises, it changes the calculus. Uh, and that becomes somewhat what these cases become about is, well, do you have evidence of capacity issues? If there are evidence of capacity issues, then people lose and can lose that right to self-determine. We can uh, go and have a guardianship or a conservatorship from probate court where a judge would make the decision that somebody is no longer capable of uh, making decisions for themselves, whether it be for financial reasons or um, whether it be actual physical reasons, where they're going to live. Um, but nobody wants to be told where they're going to want to live. And in fact, that that is a means of coercion, which is often used by family members to say, right. do this, um, agree to make me a power of attorney, put me on your bank accounts, let me have control of the finances, or else, or I will put you in a home, I'll take your car keys. And, and those are always difficult situations for families to deal with. Um, nobody wants to have to be in that position of talking to a, having that tough, tough conversation with a parent. No parent wants to have to be in that position of having that conversation with their children or, or other family members. Um, but absent capacity issues, somebody has the right to live in a way which even if I might not choose to live that way, Joe, because it's messy or right. dirty or – However it might be, there, there might be code enforcement violations. You certainly can't have health hazards, um, you know, too many animals in the house and things of that sort um, in the community. But absent that, people have the right to spend their money and, and live the way that they want to live. And I think a lot of these matters, because as we go around and people and we talk to seniors, um, they'll, they'll describe a case and it's basically self-neglect that they're a right mind. They just choose to live in, in that manner, but people are concerned. And I'll tell you, it's a hard line. I know one one case that, when I say case, it was a situation that, you know, I, I, it's just sad, and I don't know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the outcome is, but those topics we just talked about, self-determination, self-neglect, where does where does the the, the, the state or the, or the country um, – come in and say you must report uh, in the state of georgia we have a thing called men mandatory reporting by a whole list of people that deal with seniors well uh, uh, an actual matter that took place here in georgia it said finally somebody called the sheriff's department they went in and found this woman laying in a bed uh she had so many bed sores um an elderly woman in her 80s that allegedly the the sheet was kind of molded into her skin 
horrible. They had to take her out. They had to break in, and they sent her to the hospital. And then we come to find out that a relative, that how did she eat? What did she do? She was in bed. She couldn't survive without getting food. Well, one of the relatives would deliver food every week to her and see this. A neighbor who finally called um, advised, he was told on many occasions, this is the way I want to live. I don't want to leave my home. I, you know, I raised my kids here, and I don't care. I don't want any help. Well, the condition was after they took her out was so bad was exactly what what Jason said. Now we have a community uh, issue, and the code enforcement said until this gets cleaned up, because you could imagine uh, the, the the human waste, and it was apparently the smell was horrible. That. They're not going to let anybody live in the house just because of what could take place to neighbors. But when you look at that, it goes back to what Jason said. There are a lot of issues. Yo, it's horrible, but who's to blame? You know, and and we struggle with those cases. Those are some of the hardest ones to make decisions about what's appropriate. We don't want to trod someone's rights. We don't. You have again. You have the right to self determine. You have the right to decide what is best for you and. I, as a law enforcement agency or as a prosecuting agency, I don't ever want to be in a position where I have to go in and remove somebody, um, take their rights away, um, and that does become makes the, that's part of what makes these cases difficult, um, and it's part of what we do to try and educate the community in law enforcement is we have these cases which come up on occasion where. Um, we do believe that there was actually neglect going on, a caretaker who was manipulating somebody, that somebody wanted to go to doctor's appointments. They wanted to eat properly, but they had a um, caregiver who was uh, exercising undue influence, manipulating the situation because they didn't want them to be moved out of the house because the only f- um, form of rent was the um, government benefit, the paychecks that were coming in. The EBT card was being used to feed the entire family, and uh, you know the granddaughter who was living at the house and had moved her boyfriend into the house at the same time, <laughs> if, if grandmom was actually went to a facility where she was going to be properly cared for, her paycheck was going to go with her. Her government benefits were going to go with her. Right. And so family members would then you know, use that, pull on the heartstrings, convince them, no, we'll take care of you, but then they wouldn't actually take care of them properly. Um, and those are cases where we will prosecute, and we we um, we, we try not to, uh, you know, impose our will upon the family dynamics. But we recognize that these family dynamics, at the end of the day, we want what's best for the elder person. Well, I, uh, I have two examples, and one I, I maybe Jason's familiar with both of them, but one of them I know he's familiar with, and uh, Chief Flynn. Remember, we've had Dan Flynn from Marietta on talked about the situation where all of a sudden the elderly um, couple lived in a house and their uh, not only their sons but I think their grandsons I'm a little confused there but it was a relative came in and basically imprisoned them and I remember it was an 84 year old gentleman said he went out and bought a gun to protect them from from his relatives because they lived upstairs. They were kind of shut-ins. Is that you know I, I, what I'm talking Joe, I would say I've, I've looked and talked about so many of these cases. I think this is the one that you're talking about, but the facts actually tend to run together in my head because okay. we, we have so many of them. But if, if, you're, if you're talking about the one I was thinking of, um, I believe it was the stepson and um, the, the mom and uh, the, 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 the father, um, the stepfather, um, 
was elderly and I believe had some breathing issues. So yeah. he had actually some yeah, difficulty um, even caring for himself uh, or, or, or couldn't get physical to kind of force the stepson out of the house. They wanted him to leave. They, they said, you don't live here anymore. This is our house. Um, and uh, they would bar the doors that when he would leave. They would they hired a locksmith to come change the locks. But the, the guy would keep coming back. He would kick the door in or break the door in and just flop in the basement or in the house when he wanted. Um, he, in fact, had broken a window at one point, come in in the middle of the night, and literally there was a couch. He had spray-painted an arrow on the wall pointing to the couch with his name, Derek's. Yeah. Derek's couch. Or whatever, yeah. Right. So um, – you know, it, the, the but but ultimately the they lived in terror that he was going to show up whenever he wanted to show up, and so the his mom, his actual mom, she would give him money on occasion to to try and tide him over. I'm sure he was spending it on drugs or something else. Right. He was having some issues from himself, but that was the when law enforcement initially got involved, and I remember that phone call. They they called saying, "Well, can we can we take an arrest warrant? Because he says he lives here." Um, and and don't they have to go do an eviction? And I walked them through the law. No, actually, you can't take an arrest warrant. He doesn't live there. That's their house. Well, but he says that he grew up here. I was like, well, how old is he now? 40? Guess what? It's not his house anymore. They don't have to evict him. He doesn't live there. Um, he is causing them mental anguish. Um, you can go take a warrant because mental anguish is actually uh, one of the elements of abuse here in Georgia. Well, I, I, the situation is, you know, on, on caretakers, I remember the, the case that uh, I was told about. The gentleman was basically, uh, the term given to me was the shut-in was restricted. It lived upstairs in a, in a bed and he had a toilet and he hired people he had to come in and take care of himself, uh, take care of him with his money. And it turned out to be one of them was a, was a, a woman in her 20s that, uh, um, was supposed to be taking care of him during the day or overseeing him. Well, she would lock him into the room, and uh, she disappeared. And uh, the reason why I know disappeared, it took place here and and over here, and in, 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 let's say it was in Cobb County. She was arrested 15 miles away behind. I remember get behind like a big like a Walmart or or a big store like that with her boyfriend drinking booze and getting drugged up when she was supposed to be taking care of this gentleman. Now, what if there was a fire? What if he had an emergency? But he was be- she was being paid like she was there. So, you know, again, you know, I know it's hard, but uh, but try to try to make sure who the caretakers are that you've you've done a good background on them and uh if you can and and choose the right one cuz they're with your loved ones or or it, it, it takes place on that. Well, and in that regard, I, I, I know you've worked a little on this. In Georgia, we've passed some legislation to actually try and make a registry similar to the sex offender right. registry, but a registry that the public can access so that when somebody has um, been convicted of certain crimes, which disqualify them from working with elder folks, um, that uh, you or I as a private citizen could go look that up online and say, oh, I don't want to bring that person into my home. Um, I don't want to give them the responsibility right. to care for somebody. Well, I want to thank, uh, we're about to end today's session. I want to thank Jason Morbitt, Assistant District Attorney for Cobb County, for speaking with today, and we could go on and on. But remember, elder abuse does not report itself, and the website is safe at americaswebradio.com. 
And that uh, concludes this uh, segment of the Safe Senior Hour. And look forward to speaking to you all next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.